All right, go ahead and get in your Bibles to John chapter 10. That's where we'll be this morning. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Throughout the last several weeks, we've been, uh, we've been journeying through our Advent series entitled The Great I Am. The Great I Am. And, then, and what we're doing is we're looking at seven claims where Jesus says he is God. Again, if you remember, we get this understanding from where God is talking to Moses in Exodus 3, chapter 14, I mean, verse 14, and he's saying, Moses asked God, said, who should I tell the Israelites that sent me? He's going to tell them that, look, God's going to pull you out from the Egyptian captivity. He says, who should, who should I tell them? He says, tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. See, God tells Moses this, and when he says, tell them I am sent you, I am means to be. It means to be or I will be. So what God is trying to relate to Moses and the people of Israel is that I am God. I'm God, and I'm for my people, and I always will be God and for my people. Thus, we see this when we flip to the New Testament. You see Jesus say this 12 different times, seven of which he gives different characteristics. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, I am God, I always will be God, and I'm always for my people. Amen? So today we're going to look at Jesus saying, I am the door. John chapter 10, if you got it, go ahead and stand on your feet with me <clears throat> as we read the word of God. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, as, it, as we're reading, you'll notice that he not only says he's the door, but he also says he's a shepherd. We'll talk about the shepherd next week, but this week I really want to focus on Jesus being the door. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Here now the reading of God's word. Starting verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, remember those words. It says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. These are the very words of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic, I am the door. I am the door. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, I ask and I just pray one simple thing, that you would hide me behind your cross so that your folks can hear a word from you. Have your way in this place, God. We give you glory and all the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things that everyone said together. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Anybody in here ever seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia? 
Some of y'all are like, yeah, I like me some Chronicles of Narnia. Y'all like, y'all seen the Chronicles of Narnia? You read the books, right? You read the series. You know, Aslan, the big lion, and you got the, 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 the children, and then you got the talking animals and the wicked ice queen. Y'all have seen that, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, in that first one, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, you get four children that are evacuating from London to the English countryside after World War II. Uh, in the movie, once the children arrive at the professor's house, they start playing hide-and-go-seek. They are running around the house, and then they come across this wardrobe. And once they open the door to the wardrobe, they start sifting through the clothes, they go through the wardrobe, and then they end up at this magical land that's totally different than where they were before. Follow me now, family. They, they entered a door, not just any door, but a very specific door to a wardrobe. And when they went through this wardrobe, they came out in a very different land than where they started before. Some of y'all missing this. Let, let, me, let me break it down, make it a little bit more plain. See, on one side of the door, you see the rest of the home. On the other side of the door, there's a land where it's magical and it's snowing. On, on one side of the door, there's animals that are pets, but on the other side, the animals are the ones that are ruling the kingdom. On one side of the door, there's just regular children that are playing a simple game of hide-and-go-seek, but then when they go through the door to the wardrobe, they become kings and queens and princes and princesses. You, you, their whole reality changes when they go through a specific, very particular door. Family, in our text this morning, Jesus is making a very exclusive claim. He's saying, I am the door. He's saying that salvation only comes through me. True life only comes through me. True hope only comes through me. True satisfaction only comes through me. He's saying, I am the door to enter into the sheepfold, thus saying, I'm the only way. I'm the only way to get or be a part of God's people, the sheepfold. But see, that's problematic in today's culture because we have an issue with this idea of exclusivity. I mean, as a matter of fact, some of y'all probably squirm in your seats right now when I talk about Jesus being the only way. We don't like this idea of exclusivity. We don't like it. The reason why is because when we think of exclusivity, we start to think of it and give it the notion of it's us and not them. Or, or we think of it this way, it, it's, it, it, they, we have to, someone is better than someone else. So they get this. So, so we struggle with this idea of exclusivity. And friends, what, what, here's what, we, what, what I want us to see. I want us to notice this. You see, when we think of exclusivity or it's in its definition, we constantly think of it as this us and not them. And, and we take this same sense of exclusivity, this definition, in, and we re relate it to the exclusivity of Jesus. And, and that, family, hear me, poses a problem. It poses a problem because then it makes Christianity only for a certain group of people. Or it makes it that you have to be good enough to be deemed worthy to be a Christian. And that's not the case at all. See, the exclusivity of Jesus does not equal the exclusivity of the world. The exclusivity of Jesus is not us and not them, but it's instead everyone, but only through belief in Jesus. Let me say that again. It, it's not 
I'm better than you, so therefore I'm saved. No, it's, it's this way. It's Jesus is better than all of us, but yet makes a way for everyone if they believe. See, the question of exclusivity uh, of Jesus is a hard one for us to reconcile because it messes with this understanding. Here it is of inclusivity. See, we like being in the know. We like being privy to everything. We don't like the idea that someone can be excluded from something, especially if they're a good person. And the, the hard truth about this is that Jesus is not really concerned with your good works. He's not. He's really concerned with you being holy. That, that doesn't have anything to do with your good works. And, and there's nothing that we can do in our own power to be holy, sinless, because we're sinful. We've all missed the mark of, of, of holiness. We're not God. If we were holy and, the, and we hit that mark, then we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need God. And that's why Jesus comes down here. He takes on flesh, wraps himself in flesh, comes down here, lives the life that we live, dies the death that we die so that if we believe in Jesus, y'all, we can now be holy because he has blanketed us. Hear me. He's lavished his grace among us. So now that when God sees us, he doesn't see our messiness. He sees Jesus. See, so, so when you hear this argument of exclusivity, because Somebody is good or I'm, I'm worthy enough. I've done this, this good. It does not work. Does not work. So, so here's the argument I want to make this morning. The exclusivity of Jesus saying he's the door is Jesus saying that he is God and the only way to true salvation. But at the same time, he's saying he is good and makes the path open to all. So in other words, let me put it this way. He's exclusive, but he doesn't exclude anyone. Basically, don't get what he's saying twisted. Anyone can be saved. He can draw anyone to himself, but there's only one door that leads to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. See, we really got to flip this idea of exclusivity on his head, y'all, because it's not like being excluded from the group of cool kids at school. It's not the same thing. See, what I mean is we, we mistake the exclusivity of Jesus as the, and we take it as an indictment against us. Like, we, we don't have enough of something. You know? we're, we're, we're not enough, and, and we're not good enough. And in fact, it has nothing to do with that. It's really the complete opposite. It really has all to do with all that he is and nothing to do with what we're not. It's the, it's the opposite. I mean, hear me, family, the exclusivity of Jesus is a really good thing. It's a freeing truth. It's a provincial truth. Don't miss it. It's awesome. It's amazing. I mean, because it, it means that if we believe, we don't have to find our own way in this life. We don't have to depend on someone else or our own truth or salvation, but instead we can depend on God himself wrapped in flesh. That's good news. Who didn't just come and live among us, y'all, but he comes and he takes away our sins. So now that if we believe, y'all, we can live with him for eternity. Every, he, says every, he says, I'm the door. Everything you need is in, is in me. Believe in me. He, he says, I'm the door. Friends, that's a freeing gift. That's a freeing gift if we believe. And today I, I, want us to, I want to unpack this passage a little bit more so hopefully we will go away not understanding the problem with exclusivity, but we'll see the gift of exclusivity in Jesus. He says, I am the door. 
I'm the door. Now, as we enter the text today, Jesus says, I'm the door. It's coming directly after he's just healed a man that was born blind in chapter 9. Jesus takes some mud and he, he spits in the mud and he wipes it on the man's eyes. And then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man goes and he washes. And when he comes out, out of the pool, he can see. Now, this is directly after this man, when he's done washing, the people around are like, man, you can see you were born blind. How is that possible? They can't believe it. So they go tell the Pharisees and they bring this man to the Pharisees and the Pharisees ask, well, who did this to you? Who healed you? And this man says, Jesus, you've been around. You've seen Jesus do all his works. Jesus healed me. And because it was on the Sabbath day, these folks deem him to be a sinner. They say, well, Jesus is a sinner because he's working on the Sabbath. How, many, how, how legalistic is that? I mean, he heals a man who was born blind, needs help, been sitting there for years, and then, and then they say he's a sinner. I mean, that's legalism at its best. But they say because he healed on the Sabbath, y'all, he can't be from God. He's got to be a sinner. He couldn't have did this. This once blind man, but now can see, continues to explain to them, no, it was Jesus. Quit asking me. It's Jesus who healed me. But they continue to deny over and over again and say it, it couldn't have been him because he, he's a sinner. He healed on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He, he can't be him. And then the blind man says, look, I'm done with this. And I love what he says. He, he gives them these words in, 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 in verse 32 of chapter 9. Look at these with me. He says this, never since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he basically says that Jesus has to be from God. We have never seen anything like this in all of history. And the Pharisees, because he says these words, they cast him out of the synagogue. You can never come back here. And Jesus finds the man and he professes belief in Jesus as the son of man and the Messiah, the one who is the ruler over all things. The Pharisees hear of Jesus' work <laughs> and they go find this man. They go find Jesus and they start questioning Jesus on what he has done. And, 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 and the, Jesus says in verse 39, he says, I came in this world to heal those that were blind, to give the blind sight. And then they say, well, then are we blind too, Jesus? And he says, well, well, look, let me break it down a little bit for you. If, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. He says you would have no guilt because you, not because you hadn't sinned. We all have sinned, but because you cannot see. So you wouldn't be able to obey the teachings and the things that I said in the law. You wouldn't be able to do all those things because you cannot see. But then Jesus kind of slaps him in the mouth, puts him on dead mouth a little bit. He says, because you can see, though, you have guilt because you know what you do. They have nothing to say back, and this is where our text begins. Jesus begins by saying, truly, truly. Now, family, when Jesus says these words, truly, truly, I told you to remember them, the people would have been familiar with this because when, when, when someone says truly, truly, whether that's before or after what they're saying, th there's something that's going to follow that's very authoritative or important. So he's grabbing their attention by saying truly, truly. When he says this, he starts giving them the illustration dealing with the door of the sheepfold, a shepherd and its sheep. Again, I told you we'll talk about the shepherd and the sheep next week, but this week we're going to deal with the door. Jesus says in verse 1, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, 
but climbs in another way is a robber and a thief. Again, the sheepfold is synonymous with the people of God. But let me break this down a bit in layman's terms for you. The, the sheepfold, where the sheep gather, it, it was usually in a courtyard right next to the house. It was in a space where the sheep could come around the house, and, 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 and there always would be a door to get in and out of the sheepfold. And that door would be guarded by a gatekeeper or by the shepherd himself. The gatekeeper would be hired on help if the shepherd couldn't be there. The shepherd would actually guard the door. Sometimes he would lay down in front of the door so that nothing could get in inside the sheepfold. Nobody was really allowed inside the sheepfold uh, unless it was the shepherd or the sheep. See, the shepherd would keep the sheep from wandering off and guard against any animals that were trying to attack or kill the sheep like wolves and, and lions or bears or anything that was trying to eat them. The, the shepherd would also protect the sheep from thieves and robbers that were trying to steal them. See, what Jesus is saying in this passage is that Anyone who enters the sheepfold another way is not of God. What Jesus is doing when you read this text in the context is he's juxtaposing the Pharisees and their teachings against his teachings. See, thus he's saying that anyone who came before me or poses my teaching are robbers and thieves, but the one who enters through the door is the shepherd. Now, don't miss this. In essence, you, you can get through the door, but the only way you get through the door to the sheepfold is through the shepherd. Don't miss that, okay? Now, friends, here's the point. The folks would not have had a problem with any of this that Jesus is saying in this illustration. I mean, they would have understood it. They, they would also understood, they would have had any argument with the shepherd illustration it would have resonated with it because all throughout the Bible, you can see God being called a shepherd to the sheep, the sheep, the people of God. You see Psalm 23. You, you, see, you see one of my favorite Psalms. You see this. He, he's a shepherd. You, you see God all throughout the Bible being related to the people as a shepherd. But the, the text says that they didn't get what Jesus was saying. And I believe it's not because they didn't get the, uh, the illustration. It's more like what you trying to get at, Jesus. What, what you trying to say? They're questioning him. So, so when you get to verse 7, this is when they would have had a problem with what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus again says, truly, truly. Which remember, what follows is going to be authoritative and very important. So he says this. He, he proceeds to say he's not the gatekeeper. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't even say he's a shepherd yet. But he says, I'm the door to the sheepfold. Now, friends, this would have been highly problematic because, again, the people know the sheep are commonly known as the people of God. So they would have gathered from Jesus' statement that he, therefore, is saying he is God. He's saying he's God because God is the only door into the sheepfold. He's the shepherd and, and the high priest of the sheep. Jesus says he is the door thus making the exclusive claim that nobody can become part of the people of God or the sheepfold except through me. 
He says again, he keeps going in verse 8, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, basically saying those that came before me, there were some folks that came before me, false prophets, false gods, idols that overpromised and overdelivered. They never satisfied you. They promised happiness, but they didn't give folks what they were looking for or what they wanted because they were not me. And see, this is problematic because one's perception of who God is and what he's supposed to provide most of the time does not line up or equal what Jesus offers. Don't miss that. Let me say that again. See, it's problematic because one's perception of what God will provide or what he's supposed to do for you most of the time does not line up with what Jesus offers. Now, follow me. You see this in the text. You see this in the context with the people of Israel. See, I, I mean, these folks, they're looking for the Messiah to come and free them from under the Roman rule. They're not looking for Jesus or somebody to promise them eternal life or, or the promise of being with them forever. And what happens is that they miss the freedom in Jesus' claim to be the door because just looking at Jesus or what he's saying right now is not enough. They're missing it. And this would have also been, to also been totally contrary to, to the teaching of uh, the uh, Jewish belief here because to just believe in a man and, and be saved, I get to enter the sheepfold because I believe in you. You trying to tell me, Jesus, oh, I don't have to obey the law. I, I, I've been raised this way. I'm a Pharisee. I've majored in this. You, you trying to tell me that I don't have to do anything. All I got to do is believe in you. You crazy. Come on, Jesus. I mean, this is what they, they're probably thinking right now. Now, this is tough. And it's tough for us, too, because we live in a world that promises life and life to the full by how hard you work, which is most definitely the Chicago way. Let's be honest. The Rust, Rust Belt major metropolis of the Midwest family, it didn't come to the light or become the third largest city in America because of the Fortune 500 companies here. No, but it, it, it became a booming center of, of, of economics and, and, and people rushing here because of the fur industry and the steel industry. People flocked to Chicago, not for Fortune 500 jobs, but they flocked to Chicago to be a part of a blue collar working industry. They needed jobs and it soon became the Chicago we know today. So hear me, pride in what you do and how hard you work, it runs really deep here in Chicago. And there's simply this belief that runs throughout the Midwest that if you work hard enough, you can make it. You can make it. You can live life to the full. You can have this plush house and this wonderful family. You can have nice cars. When the truth of the matter is, don't miss this, that most of us will never accomplish that so-called American dream. Or we may accomplish it, but you know what will happen is that we'll never stop going and, and climbing up that proverbial ladder of success. It's the hamster wheel. It just keeps going and going because it, ne it never stops. We always want more. And friends, here's the truth. What this world has to offer will never be enough. Never. It reminds me of uh, Tom Brady. Bump Tom Brady today. I'm for my Bears, but you know, Tom Brady, it reminds me of him back in the day. They did this interview with him after he had just won his, his third championship. 
third Super Bowl. And in the interview, Tom Brady's making more money than he had ever made before. He's living his life, and he's smiling. But then he's like, it's, it's got to be more to life than this. Now, let me give you his resume a little bit. Tom Brady, he just won, not one, not two, but his third Super Bowl. He just signed a $60 million contract, and he's married to a supermodel named Giselle. But yet he's saying there has to be more to life than this. You know why someone like Tom Brady who has it all could say there's got to be more to life than this? Because there's this God-shaped void that exists inside of all of us that we'll spend our whole lives trying to fill, and the only one that can fill that void is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus says in this passage that he's the door. And that's good news because all that you're searching for can be found in him. Some of y'all still don't believe me, though. Look at the passage. Look at this. He, he even he talks about it. Verse 9, he not only says he's the door, but then he says, if you enter by me, you will be saved and will be free to go in and out and find pasture. Now, let me break this down a bit for you. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the door. Or God, but he says, through me, you will be saved. In essence, you'll have the satisfaction, you'll have the fulfillment you're looking for. The life that you want is found in me. It's not in a spouse, it's not in your children, it's not in your job, it's not in your money, it's not in your house, it's not in your family. True life is only found in Jesus. But then he says, in me, that you will be able to go in and out and find pasture. Don't miss this. Follow me. Jesus, with this saying, is reverting back to his illustration now with the sheepfold. Because remember, the sheep, they followed the shepherd. Verses 3 through 5, it tells us that the sheep, they hear his voice. He calls them by name. He leads them. They follow him, and they flee away from strangers. Five different things. But the question becomes, how does that relate to us, and why is this important? Hear me, family. Y'all probably know this, but sheep are some dumb animals. Not, they're not the smartest. They're not, they're not smart. You know, they're just not. They're not. And they, 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 they don't bring much to the table. They don't. Other than the wool, we get some clothes from They don't bring much to the table. In fact, they can't protect themselves. They don't, they don't, they don't run fast. I mean, they, 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 they're not leaders, but they follow. I mean, there's many stories. You can just Google it where you see sheep just running off cliffs. And then the other one's like, oh, you ran too? Let me jump too. Let me, <laughs> let, me, let me jump too. Now you see all these dead sheep down there. Sorry for the vivid imagery. But you see them jumping off the cliffs. I mean, how dumb is that? I'm going to just follow you to my death. Come on, let's jump. But hear me. Just like a baby doesn't know much, but they, they know the voice of their parents. Watch this. See, the sheep, they know the voice of their shepherd. They, they know their father, their, and they follow him. And you know why this happens? Don't miss it. Because over time, as the sheep follows the shepherd, they begin to associate the voice or the whistle with certain benefits. Don't miss this. See, see, they begin to understand that over time that the voice that they hear protects them. 
It feeds them. It, it, it cares for them, which now, watch this, it frees the sheep up to freely graze and eat and roam carefree because they know the shepherd is keeping watch. Some of y'all just missed that. See, Jesus in this text is saying, I'm the door to true freedom. He's saying, I'm the door to true security. I'm the door to true satisfaction. I'm the door to true fulfillment. And all that other stuff and what people promise you will never satisfy. What you're looking for can only be found in me by entering into the door, or in other words, by believing in me. And then watch this. When you enter the door, you will be truly shepherded for the rest of your life because you're now my sheep. And I don't forsake my sheep. I keep watch over them. He says, I am the door. See, we commonly think coming to Jesus is going to restrict us from having freedom, having fun, and having true life. And Jesus is saying the direct opposite. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. Family, everything in this life that we want, we have to work hard for. It requires you to do something. And don't hear me saying that you shouldn't work hard. You should work hard and heartily unto the Lord. You should be a witness on your job and whatever you do, you should work hard. But hear me saying this. There's one thing in this life that you can't work hard enough. You can work as much as you want. But you will never get it, family, and that's true satisfaction and life apart from Jesus. You'll never be truly satisfied. And this, the best part about that, family, here it is, is that Jesus has done all the work. He's done all the work for you to have the life that he's offering you. He died for our wrongdoings. Then he took those, those sins to the grave. And then he rose three days later with power in his hands so that if we believe, we no longer are, are, are damned or anything like that. But now we're actually a part of his sheepfold and we'll live with him forever and ever in glory. All we got to do is believe. And sometimes, sometimes you got to ask God, because maybe you're struggling with that whole belief thing. Sometimes you got to come to God and say, God, please make my heart believe. Sometimes he has to just, just draw you to him, to that place of belief. And you let down and say, God, just take me how I am, Lord. I, I, I need you to help me believe. See, apart from him, I don't want y'all to miss this. Apart from him, all that matters and how we're measured in this world, uh, our worth is how you're seen by other people. But when you believe in Jesus, God is not looking at your achievements He's not looking at your failures, and he's not shaking his head in approval or disapproval, but instead he sees his son Jesus, the sinless, unblemished lamb who was sent to take away the sins of the world, and he looks down when he's looking at us, and he sees Jesus now blanketed all over us, and he's saying, well done. Well done. See, instead of him seeing our messiness, he sees his son. That's good news. That's good news. Friends, when you truly understand that good news, that grace, hear me, now, now you can freely run the pasture. 
Now you can freely love life and live it abundantly. Work hard without the burden of someone else's approval hanging over you. Now, you know why? Because you're accepted by the most high. You're approved by the most high. You believed and you entered through the right door. Jesus says, I am the door. Someone walked in here this morning and and life has got you down. You feel like you don't make enough money. You feel like you're just not enough. You feel like you don't measure up and you're not happy with your marriage. You're not happy with your singleness. You feel like there's still something out there for you. You're not happy with the monotonous of everyday life. And Jesus is saying, just trust me as the door. Trust me as the door. Believe in me and you will find all the acceptance, all the satisfaction, all the fulfillment that you need. He says, I am the only door to all that you're searching for. Believe. Believe renewal. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. God, we thank you for going out of your way for us and sending your son Jesus to die the death we deserve. Making a way for us to be right with you and to be seen as right in your sight. Not based off anything that we did, but by by Jesus, your death, bearing your resurrection. We're undeserving as a people, God. But you saw us as worthy. And God, for that, we'll forever praise you and give you all the worship and give you all the honor and the glory. Father, I pray that we would trust you as a door when there's so many other doors that are out here tempting us and calling us to different things, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that we would always turn our eyes and look to you and trust you knowing that through that door we can truly find all that we're looking for. God, if someone is struggling with that truth, God, I pray that you would continue to work in their heart and bring them to a place where they believe in you, Jesus. As the one who hung on that tree for their sins, and you got up saying, just come to me. Through me, you have true life forevermore. God, I pray as we come to this table this morning that we would never forget your sacrifice and that we would remember you this morning for all that you've done. God, we thank you and we pray all these things in your name. Everyone said together, amen.